And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Let's get elevated. This is your host, Heather Steppe, co-founder of KC Hemp Company, bringing you all things cannabis to the hustle. Before I welcome our next guest to the hustle, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of Startup Puzzle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So one of the big things with the cannabis industry is it's so multifaceted. I mean, there is everything that you could possibly think of when you talk about cannabis, right? You can talk about smoking weed. You can talk about running a dispensary. You can talk about CBD products. But one of my favorite things about cannabis specifically the hemp plant, is all the potential that this plant has to completely change everything we know. Everything. So for today's guest, we have Melissa. She is co-founder of South Bend Industrial Hemp. Melissa, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing so good. Thank you. Welcome to the hustle. Um, so I can't wait to get into what you're doing at your company and uh, what South Bend Industrial Hemp is kind of working up out there in Kansas. But before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? How did you get into cannabis and business in general? Okay, so I'll give you South Bend Industrial Hemp's backstory. Um, I partner with my husband and my brother-in-law with South Bend Industrial Hemp, and they are both fourth-generation fourth farmers here in Barton and Stafford County, Kansas. Uh, so very involved with the farm operation, you know, feeding, we've got a background yard, very involved with agriculture as a whole. Um, I am a crop research scientist. So I work with developmental chemicals. I work with new genetic traits in, you know, corn, soybeans, uh, different products like that. I work with efficacy testing. So a lot of developmental work on the back end. And so in the end of 2018, Aaron, my husband actually came to the group and said, listen, I think we need to be involved with this. Um, I think we need to find a way to try a different crop for to diversify our farm. And when he first brought this idea to us, I was like, I'm not, I'm not interested. Uh, I love what I'm doing. I don't really want to, to shake that up any. Um, but he said, please just read about it, learn more about it. And the more I started learning about the potentials of this plant, the more I have just become enthralled with everything about it. And so I said, let's do this. And so that's how South Bend Industrial Hemp was launched. In 2019, the first year that Kansas could grow, we did 1,500 CBD plants. Uh, we kind of wanted wow. to test the water and learn how to do that. But our main goal and kind of our foundation is large-scale farming, okay? And yeah. so fiber and grain is what really captivated us. We knew that there was no market at that time. CBD was a $2.2 billion industry. The fiber and grain market was a 200 million. Uh, and that was mostly up in Canada and overseas. You wow. know, that, it was not a market in the US yet, but we were yeah. like, you know what? We wanna learn more about it. We, Cause this, this is where we see the future being. So we put in 80 acres of dry land hemp. Um, we 
everything we do, we try to mitigate risk because we've self-funded all of this. And so we put it behind a wheat crop that was going to go to a fallow field anyway. And so fallow means that we're not going to put another crop on it for another year. And so really we weren't out any land for potential income that was going to happen there because we had harvested the wheat. Uh, I can tell you that 2019 in terms of fiber and grain was a great learning year. Not so great in terms of production, but I yes. learned a lot. <laughs> well, you know, that's first step. <laughs> yes. Especially new crop. I mean, totally different. Yes. And so 2020 rolled around and I really think um, the lessons learned in 2019 set us up for such success. Uh, 2020, we actually reduced the amount of fiber and grain that we were growing to 55 acres, but we put it under a pivot so we could control the water output and the timing. We weren't up to mother nature. And we really tried to utilize this as a crop, like as every other crop on our farm. So we use the same fertilizer regimens um, for different crop programs that we have, even down to the seed plates that we use in our planter and down to harvest when we used our just Case IH combine. We wanted to utilize only equipment that we already had on our farm to show that this was a viable commodity for farmers without having to invest heavily, heavily in new equipment, et cetera. So 2020 had a very successful fiber grain crop. Um, I thought we had it sold, but just like everything else in the hemp industry, things fall through um, and our buyer backed out. Mm -hmm. And so we started crunching the numbers and we really started having these conversations of, we understand manufacturers want to utilize hemp in their lines um, and farmers want to grow it, but we've got no way to connect those. And no manufacturer is going to switch over production lines if they don't have a reliable source and right. no farmer is going to put it in the ground without a contract knowing it's going somewhere. Right. So uh, that's what we focused on in 2020. And we actually started the process to open a fiber processing facility. So a decorticator. And we actually just opened that June 1st of 2021. So we've been open almost six weeks. Uh, full steam ahead on that. It's been a long process to get that open. But we are very, very excited to where that future is held. Um, so to finish our backstory, uh, 2020, we still had 1500 CBD plants, 2020, we reduced the amount of CBD plants. We are fully integrated on that side as well. We have our own production line and products. Uh, everything is Kansas based, our land to your hand, which provides, you know, a lot of reassurance to, to our buyers that they know what they're getting. That's incredible. Um, you know, that's, in, in the CBD side, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm going to start with the CBD yeah. side. That is my, my specialty as well with Casey Hemp Company. Um, that is a really, really great point. You know, land to hand, I freaking love that. That's amazing. And I love that you're using all of your stuff from your land. I mean, so you guys are not only growing it, but you're actually turning it into CBD as well. So you're going through that process on your farm as well. So the only thing that we outsource is the extraction and we use another Kansas company right down the road because, you know, if someone's already really great at it. Why reinvent the wheel? Um, so, so we utilize another Kansas company, um, Can Canna, Keith Martin out of Wichita. He extracts this, extracts it and gives it, gives it back to us as an isolate. And from there I make all our own products. Awesome. And, and, you know, kind of like what you're saying, just, being able to provide a product to people where they know exactly where it's coming from and it's coming from neighbors and their community. That's, that is such an important piece to this. Uh, you know, when you're looking back at the history of Kansas, Missouri, you know, the Midwest, talk about the Mecca for hemp growth. 
And we're just now starting to see that come back. And I'm so excited for farmers, you know, not only the CBD side, but more so the fiber and grain side to be able to bring that back, to to put that on the land, to grow, to, to build this industry, but to do it right and to do it, you know, with transparency and thought. Uh, we see a lot of just bogus CBD products on the market and being able to provide a quality one is important. Well, that's how it actually came about. I was doing, I love public speaking. I love sharing our story. I just love talking about what we're doing. And so many people were excited about the potential of how CBD could improve their quality of life. And so they came to me and they said, well, what companies do you suggest? And I'm very data-driven. We are very data-driven at South Bend Industrial Hemp. So I start combing through these COAs. I see, you know, there was a lot of copied COAs. There was a lot of fraud that was going on in the CBD. And you know what? Honestly, I said, I'm just going to make a product that I know I can give to you that is going to have exactly what I say is in it, uh, the strengths that I say is in it. And so that's, that's how that product line was born. Yeah, that, that's a that's a lot of similarities there between why we started KC Hemp Company as well, just making sure that the, the product was quality because we couldn't find it anywhere else. Right. So I love it. Um, but on the other side, so now you've got a hemp plant and guys, there's thousands of uses for this plant, thousands. Therapeutic CBD is just one. It's a big one. Like you said, I mean, billion dollar market. It's a huge market. But there, there is so much more here. And so I really want to get into the discussion of what you guys are doing with the fibers. Um, you know, you said you guys opened up a processing facility in June or July? June. June 1st. Okay. And so you guys are doing, what are you doing through that? Like, what are you processing the hemp down to? All right. You're going to get me all jazzed up. Like, this, I'm jazzed. this is <laughs> what I love. CBD is very cool, but this is, this is yes. what we're really after. Yes. Okay, so when you're in the field, and if I don't know how much um, CB or knowledge, growing knowledge that you guys have, so I'm just going to spit out a little bit to your listeners. Yeah, please just do. For reference. Yeah. yeah, just for reference. So like a CBD grow, you know, you're in grid type spacing. So plants are four feet by four feet, or, you know, you're looking at anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 plants per acre. If you're growing for fiber or grain um, or dual purposing, you're looking at being around 700,000 to 1.2 million plants per acre. Um, something that is kind of in your head so you can visualize that. Uh, wheat. Wheat is very comparable in terms of population density. Okay. And so you're putting a lot of plants in a small amount of space because you want them to grow up and you don't want them to have nodes or branches on the plant because that is a weak point in the fiber. And so when we run these plants through our decorticator, we want those fibers to stay as long as possible because it's a higher value, a higher quality to the manufacturers. Okay. And so you can always make strands shorter. You can never make them longer. And so that's why population and planting density is extremely critical and understanding the redding process and how you're doing that to get it to the decorticator. So now the plants that you plant for CBD are they different than the plants that you're planting, uh, you know, out in the fields, the 700 to million plants per acre? Yeah. Uh, the genetics is totally different. You're going for extremely different things. Um, actually when you test our crops, there's non-detectable levels of THC or CBD. I know there are tri-crop varieties out there that you can grow for fiber, grain, 
and CBD, but we don't mess with any of those varieties. It's not something that's conducive for here in Kansas. Um, we tried a little bit of it in 2020 just to kind of gain experience and be able to speak uh, with a little bit of experience on that topic uh, for humidity and things like that. It's just, it's not really a viable option for the amount of tonnage that you're going to get from that grow and drying it. Um, but yes, varieties are completely different. How this plant looks is completely different. The, the consistency and the content of the plant, completely different. Right. So these are just specifically grown for fibers. You want volume, tonnage. Right. Okay. And with CBD, you're looking for quality. You know, you've got your buds. You want, you know, the big, beautiful buds. I don't care about buds. Those don't do anything for me. I am focused on stock uh, diameter, and I'm focusing on the amount of herd content and bast fiber that is on that stock. The okay. rest just gets thrown away. So if you, when you put your seeds out, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really do much else to them, right? You just kind of put them out, water them? Yes, and fertilize. You So I would say CBD is more like a horticultural type crop. Um, you know, you see that in the greenhouse setting, they require a, a lot more TLC than yeah. fiber and grain. Fiber and grain, you run it through your drill or you can run it through a planter. Uh, some people are even broadcasting it. You're putting it out on the field. You're providing the nutrients that it needs when it needs it. And the water, if you have that capability, like we do here in central Kansas, and you just let that crop grow. That's awesome. So if I were a Kansas farmer, I am not. I live in the suburbs in a neighborhood. But if I was a Kansas farmer and I wanted to get into the hemp industry, what do you recommend? I mean, do you recommend people start with CBD? Do you recommend more of the, you know, tall hemp to grow for fibers? Like, what do you see as kind of the direction in which this hemp industry is going? Okay, unless you have something lined up for CBD, you are growing to lose money if yes. you're growing for CBD. I, yeah. I'm not going to say that with 100% certainty because I am sure there's definitely some outliers in there. And, you know, like I said, we're fully integrated on our CBD side so we can make that cash flow. But if you are a conventional farmer and you are not used to the different regulatory things that you have to take care of, you know, being checked up by the KDA, doing your lab testing, et cetera. Fiber and grain is a more sustainable method for your farm. It is uh, easily relatable to all the other crops that you're growing on your farm. And so that is a natural progression if you would move towards the fiber and grain. See, I don't even know as much as you do, not even close, but we have Kansas farmers who call us all the time. And one of the things we get is, hey, I've got all this land. I'm thinking about growing some, uh, you know, CBD hemp. Would you guys buy from us? Or we have people who have already grown it and they're trying to sell it. And we look at the COAs. I'm always open to look to, at the COAs because I would love to have locally grown CBD in our product. But I have not found anybody who's been able to produce the same quality that we are getting from farmers who've been doing this for a lot longer. And... I think that's been a big kind of pitfall for Kansas farmers, at least at least for Kansas farmers that I've seen, is there is a learning curve. And when you take that curve, I mean, you're risking a lot of money. Those seeds are not cheap. Mm -hmm. And depending on how big you're, you're, you're planting, you know, the, the size that you're planting for, you could, you could lose a lot of money on a crop that, you know, burns hot and has too much THC in it. You know, the, it's a very fickle thing. So 
I would totally agree with you that, you know, kind of going in a different direction for hemp farmers in Kansas. And I tell them when they call, <laughs> but I will be sending people your way now to talk yes. about that with them, especially if you guys are able to process it. So um, let's backtrack just a little bit. So now you've got your crops that you're growing, you're growing them for fiber. Uh, when you run them through your, what's the word? Decoordinator? Decorticator. Decorticator. I was pretty close. <laughs> when you run them through your decorticator, what next? What's the next step in that process? Okay. So from there, as it runs through this series of rollers, it actually strips the bass from the herd. And that is how we are able to maintain this long stranded fiber or bast. From there, it gets spit onto a shaker table. So any remaining herd that is caught up in that fiber gets basically slapped out of it, the shaker table motion. Um, and then the herd is conveyed off to a size and sorter because there's three natural sizes that come out of our machine, a large, a medium, and a fine. Um, and so based upon the end use and the manufacturing is going to determine what size of herd they need from us. Okay. So end use, you, once, once you get to that point where you've just got the herd and you're selling it, or is that what you're doing? You're selling it out to other people to make either clothes, rope, textiles, different things like that? Yes. So you just open like a really big bag of worms for, <laughs> for the bass fiber. Um, if you are growing for textiles, that is an extremely high grade of fiber and your plant needs to be harvested before it even flowers. So when, if you are harvesting for bass fiber and you are trying to break into that textile market, you need to harvest the plant when it is extremely immature. So before it even flowers and you need to have those contracts lined up because most farmers aren't going to harvest that early in the season. It's really, really important that you work from your manufacturers and their needs and go backwards. And so we, I would say 90% of our farmers are set up to grow for dual purpose. And so the herd is really 75% of the plant when you let it go to that maturity. And most of our contracts are herd based. And so we are trying to maximize the herd production in that plant. That herd is going to go to hempcrete. That is going to go to insulation. You've got bioplastic facilities. You've got hemp wood. Um, the, the possibilities for that are really endless for the people that are calling us. Um, but to backtrack to the bass a little bit, textile market, extremely niche, very hard to get into. Uh, you just don't need the acres um, because there's just not that big of production lines at the moment. I would love to have a different conversation a year from now. Uh, rumor has it that Levi's and Wranglers and all these big, big clothing companies are looking to integrate hemp but we haven't seen those acres being asked for yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen all those too. You know, it's like so-and-so is coming out with the next temp gene or, uh, you know, there was a, a thing floating around for a while about Lego creating a, a hemp Lego piece. Um, but, you know, as far as hemp goes, I mean, what advantage does hemp provide these manufacturers over the traditional plastics or cotton or various other things that, you know, people have been using for almost hundred years now to create products. What, what does hemp do that they don't? I would say it's more sustainability. So if you yeah. wanted to talk about the cotton route, 
I don't know much about ginning cotton and how it's produced into clothing, but I do know how to grow it. And hemp cotton takes four times more water than hemp to produce per acre. Um, so water is a large conversation that's happening right now here in Kansas because Western Kansas is actually running out of water. The, the aquifer that they pull their wells from to water their crops is literally running dry. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in central Kansas, we are actually allotted so much water per pivot. Um, and that helps regulate the water that we do have and helps the, the aquifer replenish. So in terms of cotton, Sustainability and regenerative agriculture is kind of the hot topic right now uh, with carbon sequestration, et cetera. That is why it beats cotton um, production. In terms of bioplastics, uh, if you look at how fast the plant can or the, the products can degrade, uh, they have hemp water bottles that once that water bottle hits microbials in the soil, it takes 80 days to break down. Wow. Right. But it's all, you know, and people are like, well, what if it's sitting on a shelf? Well, no, it needs those microbes that are in the soil. So the shelf life is fine. It's when it gets to the landfill, it can decompose so much faster. So if you look at, you know, overall green living, you know, we have a lot of movement headed in sustainable living and recycling, et cetera. You know, hemp is an answer for that. Yeah. And that's such an important piece to not just I mean, to everything, right? I mean, how can we keep earth here longer and for us to live here? And I, you know, I saw um, something recently too, that hemp actually can hold so much more CO2 than other varieties of plants. Can you just touch on that for a little bit? Yeah. So carbon sequestration is massive right now, which is a very intense conversation that farmers are having. One, we would love to capture the money that big companies are willing to pay us for our carbon credits because we do take care of the soil. Um, but on the flip side, there's a lot of farmers that aren't interested in helping out these bigger companies because agriculture is demonized so much. Mm. I mean, if you listen, you know, cows are ruining the ozone layer, our tractors are ruining all these, the fresh air and things like that. I don't really believe that's 100% true because at the end of the day, the only thing we have to pass on to our next generation is our farmland. Right. So if we're not taking care of it and utilizing it to the best of its ability, then, then we have nothing to pass on and we have no value in that. Um, so carbon sequestering, yes, hemp, we are working with different apps that can actually quantify that data and tell us how much more hemp is capturing compared to corn, soybeans, wheat, milo. Um, but yes, that is an ongoing conversation that is happening. So I'm going to take a minute and talk about our awesome sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Puzzle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably, which could be really great for farmers. I mean, you know, you're sitting here talking about technology and apps and how different types of technology are helping farmers to, you know, kind of hone in on the process. Is that applicable to hemp as well, since it's still so early and so new in the industry? Yeah, I would say it's pretty applicable to ag or, you know, in hemp. Um, I have to think about that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> well, let me let me let me back up here just a little bit, too. 
so when you are, you know, reaching out to these manufacturers, or, or you said you work backwards, right? So you find out what the manufacturers need, and then you give them that. Um, talk to me about that process. I mean, wh- who are you guys currently partnering with, and and what specific products are they making with these? Um, I would say hempcrete. Yeah, hempcrete is the biggest conversation that's happening right now. Is a and a huge chunk of our sales are going towards people that are building hemp houses. Uh, we've got a hemp house going up in Overland, Kansas, so North Central Kansas. Um, you know that's exciting, and actually they're putting sensors in the walls. So people talk about hemp and how it helps uh, regulate humidity and regulate temperature in your houses, but we need numbers and yeah. like data driven data is what sells. And so if you can prove to these people that hemp is a superior product from what they're currently using, that's when you're going to get your switch. And so hemp builders are currently our biggest outsource for our herd right now. And now what, what does that market look like? I mean, are there a bunch of hemp builders? Is this still pretty like ground level phase of, you know, creating these homes and structures out of hemp? Definitely ground level. Um, you know, there's a lot of still, of it being done by hand. And so um, we are working with some people that are looking to build blocks. And so basically, if you say, hey, I've got a 2,500 square foot house, I need 7,000 blocks. They ship you 7,000 blocks and you basically put it together. Um, You know, like a Lego house. Yeah, so like it's like a Lego house. (laughs) Lego house Um, of I love it. So, you know, people are working to develop this industry and it's amazing how rapidly it's happening. Uh, we, you know, we've been in this industry for, this is our third season and I've learned so much every day, every day I always pick up more information. And that's exactly how I feel too, on the CBD side, but mm-hmm. even not on the CBD, it doesn't matter what side, the plant is freaking fascinating. And every time I learn one more thing about it, whether it's the history or the potential or anything, I am just like mind blown. And I just can't wait to just literally throw myself all the way into it, Uh, which is good because this industry is so hard to do business in. And I don't know how that affects you from the farming side, but I know you probably deal with it as well on the CBD side. I mean, the regulations, the rules, the the things we can't do that other businesses can't do really puts a hamper on, you know, thriving and growing as fast as we would like to. Are you guys seeing that same issues? You know, is, are you having the same troubles we're having with Facebook and Google ads and not being able to really kind of run the marketing side of the company? Correct. I mean, we we are still in the hemp industry and that is really where education is key. That is what drives me to do all the social media posts that I do and to continue talking, continue talking to legislators, volunteering for different boards so I can just continue spreading our message. Because you have to differentiate between CBD hemp and industrial hemp, Mm -hmm. you know, because at the end of the day, why can't I use pesticides on fiber hemp that is going into hempcrete? I mean... One, safety residues and every product that gets to market and the chemical like for farmers, for commercial farmers is minimum of seven years of testing. So it's not like we're just like willy nilly throwing products out on our crops. Like everything is very calculated. Rates are very calculated. 
But if you're not ingesting any of this stuff, you should be able to have that opportunity to make it more conducive and easier to farm. Uh, and it's a smarter way of farming. Mm. Um, I understand that there's a place for organic and certified organic, but you, this is jumping on a different horse real quick, but you can't feed the world with just organic farmers. Yeah. Like you can, America has the safest and most cost-effective food supply in the world. And it's because our farmers can produce as much as they do per acre. I mean, bottom line, yeah. um, hemp can be a part of that rotational crop because hemp as it is a soil remediator, it's going to clean out that soil. And so we're actually seeing yield bumps in our next rotational crop. And so again, that's going to help the consumers. But yes, we are running into the same regulatory problems um, that you have on the CBD side. In terms of our processing facility, I think one of the most progressive things that we've seen this year is the state fire marshal came out because he is the one that actually regulates all the processing facilities here in Kansas. And after learning about what we're doing and touring our facility, he said, I don't understand why you're being seen as a processor. Mm. He's like, you are so much different than CBD because everything we do is mechanical. And yeah. so we should have a different rule guideline than a CBD processor because the yeah. end uses are so different. But you're still being regulated like a CBD. Yes, yes. So we still that, have all the same regulations. So does that impact your banking as well? Actually, I'm very proud. Um, our small town has been amazing supporters of what we were doing. Um, we went to them in 2000, at the end of 2019 when we were looking to launch our products and we said, hey, this is our COAs. This is what we want to do. Can we bank it? You know, because we, we have all our other accounts there, our farm account, our personal accounts, et cetera. And they said, yes, um, just know that your account will be very monitored. And if we ask you to you know, produce any validation for anything, it could happen. But I'm like, okay, that's no different than any other account that we have. If the bank wants to audit your account, it can audit your account no matter what industry you're in. And so, yeah, they let us open an account and we haven't had any problems. Has it, have you seen an issue with that from your manufacturers? I mean, are they running into those same types of problems with, you know, being able to pay you? Are you accepting money from them? You know, we've had different clients that we've worked with that are selling our product who've gotten just as, in just as much trouble as us, you know, creating the product. So are you seeing that on more of the fiber side as well? Uh, we haven't had any problems with payments or anything like that. Um, so I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen, uh, but we have not encountered that yet. Good. Wow, that's great. Uh, so one thing you and I have in common, also, we have a lot in common, really, but one other thing is uh, working with your husband. I also am in business with my husband. Uh, how's that going? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's kind of a running joke between Aaron, my husband, and my brother-in-law because, like, we all we spend a lot of time together, whether right. even, even when we were just conventional farming, we spent a lot of time together and Richard laughs. Cause he's like, well, at least I get to go home at night. And because I'm someone that just, I don't turn off. Like I, I am extremely driven in making this succeed, which so is he, but I just, I'm an extremely motivated individual. Um, That's great for an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say that we have the makings to, for a 50 year plus marriage. Um, <laughs> this is the same year that we got married. 
I quit my job, opened my own research facility. We started growing hemp and we made it through a full farming season together, which is a lot of stress in itself. So we can do do anything. Yes. That's exactly how I feel too. I mean, it adds such a different dynamic to business partnerships. You know, our date nights are business meetings, really. (laughs) I try to explain that to other people and I'm like, yeah, you guys go on dates. I think that's fun. Right. Like talk about anything but what you're doing every day because we don't yeah which is great because like you said you're always on so you're you know you're constantly working and etching away at, at growing the business but it's also like god i would do anything just to turn it off for five seconds it's funny because he's he's better about that you know like he'll he'll be like okay i need i need wife mel right now not business <laughs> partner mel and i'm like oh okay i'll try like i'll do my best yeah, it, it's it's such an interesting dynamic. And I was reading a statistic the other day, and it's this is not the exact statistic, so don't come after anybody. But it was something along the lines of um, husband and wife partnerships work out s- substantially more than traditional partnerships in business. And I just thought that was really interesting because there are some days that uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to kill you. And then there's other days where it's like, I can't imagine doing this with anybody else. <laughs> So that I can't imagine doing this with anybody else piece must really take over. Yeah. It is, it is awesome, you know, being able to run your business with, with your husband. And then you've got your brother-in-law in in there too. So yeah, you have that third brain to kind (laughs) of kick in the gear as well. He's a good mediator. Um, We all bring such different skill sets to the team. Um, I'm very much into numbers. I love spreadsheets. I love budgets. I love the agronomic side, providing agronomic support. Um, Aaron is really good at the facility and the, you know, communicating with clients and things like that. He's just, he's great at, at talking to people. And Richard, if you even spit out a remotely poor idea of something that you want to build, Richard can put it together and make it happen. That's and awesome. so we, we really are a great team at what we're doing. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, most of the stuff that you're doing with your, the hemp you're growing for fiber and grain is obviously more B2B type sales. Uh, but let's switch over and talk a little bit more about your CBD side. Um, not very many people know how to successfully sell B2B and B2C, two different products, let alone, and you guys are doing it with both. Um, yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the strategy you guys are using there. I mean, your strategy for your B2B is find out what the manufacturer wants and work backwards. So what about your B2C? When you're, when you're dealing straight with a consumer more on the CBD side, you know, what does that process look like for how you guys grow your business and, and the products that you do bring to market? You know, what's so funny is we're probably a terrible example for that. You know, we run no ads. We don't, we don't quote unquote sell like aggressively yeah um we just talk about what we're doing and people want to find a way to be involved and even as a consumer they want to support our business and cbds is an easy way for them to do that and then they experience the positive effects from it and it's like wow this is this is a great company to follow through with yeah so um yeah don't run a ton of ads. We just we just talk about what we're doing. Yeah. And that's kind of where when we started our company, how, how it all went for us too. It was like our education is our sales tool. The more you can tell somebody about this plant, about what it can do, about the minor cannabinoids, about the this individual 
kind of therapies that the entire plant holds, the more people are like, holy shit, yes, I want some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to provide that high quality product is so incredibly important. Okay, so, you know, you are in the middle of Kansas, right? That's where South Bend is? Yes. So what is the population of the town? I mean, you know, you kind of have that piece to your business where you're very hyper-local and involved in the community. Um, when you decided to kind of go into CBD and to into this hemp, uh, other hemp side, what did the town think of that? Honestly, so our town, Great Bend, is around 16,000 people. Um, that may, it's a bigger town for this area in the state but it has a very small town feel um when we started in 2019 we got a lot of interesting looks um, a couple snide remarks but mainly people were just watching us which is kind of how i started our facebook page is because i kept getting stopped and people were asking what we were doing uh because obviously it definitely is a different looking crop than what you generally see when you're driving down the road And so to kind of answer some of those questions, I just started a Facebook page and kind of made that a documenting hub for how our season was going. Um, By the end of 2020, people were reluctantly impressed, um, or I don't know if impressed was the right word, but they were supportive. Um, They just didn't really understand where we were headed. They didn't really see this as a market that was going to, to be as big as it was. 2020 rolled around uh, people were like oh wow you're doing it again and I said yep we're we're in it um, so we actually ended up having a lot of people show up at our farm want tours want to learn more about it we got to start doing a lot of uh, education on just what hemp was in general um, and so we got to to really bring people out and, and highlight what we were doing here which is kind of how we started with our open house last year. Um, People were requesting to come out to the farm so much that I said, let's just put together an open house. We had a couple vendors come out that were highlighting different areas of the hemp industry besides CBD. Um, And the tour went amazing. We had just shy of 200 people show up, especially in all the COVID craziness that was happening. Um, We were very, very happy with that. we set the date for 2021 and this year we had over, well, we cooked for 250 for our benefit meal and ran out of food. And we had 10 different vendors from across the country come in and highlight their hemp products. Uh, so that was very cool. Uh, and then we had 17 different states fly in and actually enjoy the evening with us and learn more about our operation. So That's very, awesome. very cool. Well, I absolutely love everything that you guys are doing. And honestly, I could continue having this conversation for another 10 hours. Uh, But just as a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So let's wrap this up, Melissa. I want you to give me one, like, just golden nugget piece of advice. If you could give, you know, a farmer or someone looking to going into farming for hemp, what would that piece of advice be? Do your homework, Um, find somebody that is extremely reputable in the industry. If you don't feel comfortable enough to bring these people to your house or your farm uh, to talk business, then that's probably not someone that you want to do business with. Uh, That's kind of how we have made a lot of the 
decisions that we have and trusting our gut on who to believe. I just, I don't know how many times farmers have called me nearly in tears because they paid someone to consult for them and then they took their money and left that were supposedly hemp experts. So if something sounds too good to be true, double check because it probably is. So that's, that's my golden nugget. Do your homework on who you're working with. See if they'll offer contracts and have a plan if you want to grow before you even put it in the ground. So do you do consultations? Uh, I love, yeah. So I don't, I love helping. I love helping farmers have a successful crop. I love providing agronomic support. We offer contracts to all the growers in our group that are supplying our processing facility because we don't want to do this alone. Um, And we understand how big this market's going to be. And so we need, you know, in five years when when we need 10,000 acres for our processing facility, we don't want to have to start from square one with a bunch of farmers. So I love helping farmers. I love helping them be successful. So yes, if they have any questions, just tell them to give me a call. All right. Well, you guys can find Melissa at South Bend Industrial Hemp. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. And in case you guys forgot, we did start a TV show about entrepreneurship. So you can head on over to YouTube, search up Startup Hustle TV, and you can find myself, fellow founder cast members, and find us sharing the real story of what it takes to start, build, and grow a business. See you later, hustlers. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.